We're sitting on the most perfect beach in the world, and all we can think about is where. Where can I hook up my quantum? Digital pen part at work. Yeah, you apparently didn't put one of the new cover sheets on your TPS report. So should we send it to first? Just a couple of people. The question is, who are they going to send it to? This podcast is brought to you by Search Engine Journal, and you're listening to Marketing Nerds. everyone, this is Kelsey Jones, Executive Editor of Search Engine Journal. And for Marketing Nerds today, I'm here with Mark Doust. He is the owner of Quiet Light Brokerage, and he's also an SEJ contributor. Mark, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. I know we saw each other at PubCon, so it's great to touch base again. Absolutely. So one of the things that I really enjoy about your articles, which I've mentioned to you before, is that you talk a lot about buying and selling websites, which I think doesn't have enough great content about it. And so that's kind of why I brought you on, because I thought that the audience would be really interested in um, learning more about you know that industry and that field. Yeah, it's a topic that people really don't think about until they actually need to. Uh, we mm-hmm. find a lot of people come to us, uh, frankly, uh, a little too late. Uh, they they want to sell their sites and then we tell them to go away because they're just not in the right position and it takes a long time uh, to prepare. So one of our uh, organizational goals over the past couple of years has been to uh, educate the marketplace on what that whole industry is like and also to let them know there is an industry. There is It's a niche industry, but there is an industry of buying and selling websites. Yeah, I think a lot of people think it's as easy as you just pay a price and then it's your site, but there's a whole other range of you know things that go into it which I don't even know enough about because I've just you know kind of looked at auction sites but not really done anything so I wanted to ask how you personally got started in the industry yeah sure and actually let me just comment real quick on what what you said there I think you know a lot of people think about buying websites and they think of the Flippa model which is well known and uh, frankly Mm -hmm. Flippa does a good job in the price range they're at Uh, but for a lot of uh, a lot of your your readers and listeners at Search Engine Journal, they're building more valuable websites. And so when you get into that fifty thousand dollars and above range, hundred thousand, half million, million dollar websites, it's a bit of a different dynamic. You don't really want to do an auction site with a three day close. Yeah. Um, so as far as how I got into this, um, I think it was two thousand and five. I, I had a uh, website. Um, that was similar, actually, in many ways to Search Engine Journal, just a little bit more broad. It was a content, uh, user-contributed um, uh, website, and I really focused on the newsletter there. Uh, we had 220,000 subscribers. Uh, and, and like many entrepreneurs, after uh, just a, f- a few months, I got bored, and uh, I-, I wanted to sell the site. The broker <laughs> I talked to said, you know, why don't you wait for a year? It's, it seems to be doing pretty well. Yeah. And so I did. So initially he quoted me, you know, he said, if you sell it now, you might be able to get twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars for the website, maybe thirty. And he said, but wait a year and really focus on building up the revenue. So I did that. I I spent about uh, 14 more months uh, really working on the revenue of the site, selling advertisements uh, and sponsorships. And uh, a year later, um, I again just bored and having these wandering eyes and think I I can start <laughs> anything and make it su- uh, successful. I uh, I put the site up for sale with that broker. And it took him a while. It took him about six, seven months to sell the site, uh, but he did. And I sold it for significantly more than that. That original twenty-five, thirty thousand. I sold it for one hundred and sixty-five thousand oh, dollars. Wow, that's a huge difference. Absolutely, and I, I tell the story all the time because it really focuses on it, it. Hones in the idea that you can make a big difference through some simple planning. And here's the thing that just absolutely kills me: the owner after me 
didn't increase profitability. But he did do a few things with the business, and he had an offer for over $300,000 for the business. Oh, my so gosh. So if I had done a little bit more in preparing the business, I could have cashed out and said for one hundred and sixty-five for over $300,000 on that business. So anyways, as, about a year after I, I sold that, that business, I, I, and while I was selling the business, I kept thinking, the guys that are selling this business don't know anything about the internet. They were asking me questions about like SEO and and marketing and uh, you know some pretty basic questions and I was thinking somebody needs to be in a space that that actually understands internet businesses uh, and I naively thought that what they were doing looked easy um, <laughs> uh, you know they they didn't build this business yet they get to take ten percent of the sale of it uh, and so a year later a good friend of mine who had a web hosting company used to be a client when I was in the web hosting space. Uh, came to me and wanted to sell his web hosting business, and uh, um, I, I put it up for sale again. There was a lot of uh, naivety there. I, I didn't really know what I was doing. I put it up for way more than I probably should have, but we managed to get it sold uh, after uh, three months. And actually, uh, another another lesson that I, I preach to people is have a backup plan after you sell your your, your business. Um, the first commission I got from Quiet Light Brokerage came literally the day I went broke, like not a penny to my name broke. Oh, wow. Um, and, and so <laughs> uh, just fortunate turn of events, fortunate time, and everything worked out there. And that first sale uh, really propelled me into to Quiet Light Brokerage. I officially formed the company and, and uh, started marketing. And there weren't a lot of players at that time in the industry. So we were able to, to uh, uh, get a, a nice s- small little group of clients and and this is kind of bad, but learn what we were doing <laughs> with those first few clients. Uh, so that was in 2007. Wow, that's awesome that you've come such a long way. You know, when I started freelancing, I kind of did the same thing. I remember I got laid off from my full-time job, and I was freelancing on the side. And I had a potential client say, um, could you write white papers? And I had no idea what they were. But I said, yeah, I can. And then I'm, I'm Googling what they are as I said yes. And I just kind of learned on the fly. And so I think the, inter- the internet space kind of makes it a little bit easier to do that, to kind of learn as you go, especially in our industry because it's just constantly evolving. And that's one of the things that I think makes it so exciting. Yeah, and I think it's a little bit more forgiving uh, our, our yeah. industry to be able to learn on the fly. But I think it's getting harder to do that. It, it's it's not as easy to learn on the fly as it uh, was, you know, uh, eight ten years ago. But you can still do it, and it's still the best way to learn. Yeah, yeah. People are becoming more experts, so it's a little bit more competitive and harder to kind of make a name for yourself. I'd say. Yeah, absolutely. So I know you had mentioned clients um, in your last answer, so. That kind of, this wasn't um, on the list of questions I sent you, but do you have repeat clients? Like, do you have people where all they do is just build great websites and then eventually sell them? Or are a lot of your clients just kind of one-off sales? I would say, you know, the mo- most of our clients tend to be the one-off sales, but there's a very large percentage that uh, either buy, improve, and, and sell uh, or do that startup and and sell. I, I can think of a number of clients who have uh, sold multiple businesses uh, through us uh, that that they started up with the purpose of selling them uh, two to three, uh, four years down the road. The, the, the difference that people have to keep in mind, though, is that flipping websites is not the same as flipping houses, right? Flipping houses, mm-hmm. you want a quick turnover. Uh, you you want you, you don't want to carry that house because it has carrying costs. 
if you try and flip a website quickly, typically, at least in, in this uh, higher value range, uh, typically you're going to take a discount on your price. Buyers don't like to take something that, that's been uh, flipped as much. They don't trust it as much. Uh, but as far as repeat clients, it's actually a little surprising how many repeat clients we have given the price band that we're in. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's it's so fascinating to me to to be someone who is, well, I guess kind of flipping websites, but on a longer period. I mean, working you know, on a site for a long period of time and then eventually selling it. To me, I would think that'd be kind of hard because you kind of get emotionally attached to a website and you want to see it do well even after the sell, sale is over. Yeah, I think the people that do that really know themselves. I think there's a, a type of a breed of uh, entrepreneur that understands that they're really good at, at, at building, they're really good at growing, but they're not good at maintaining. Wow. And so we'll see sites come across our desk all the time where the owner has stopped paying attention to it for maybe the last 18 months, and then they just learned about us, and they said, ah, well, you know, maybe instead of just letting this thing kind of slowly die, maybe what I can do is I can sell it and get uh, the next few years up front you know, at a lower tax rate, uh, which is what happens when you sell. You get, you get that income at a lower tax rate, effectively. And so uh, I think the people that do this uh, professionally where they, they build, uh, they improve, and then they, they spin it back off, or they just build uh, to sell, they know that they love that startup. They, they love the turnaround, but they don't love the day-to-day grind. They don't want to be working on the same project for seven, eight years. Yeah, that makes sense to kind of know what you're good at. Um, for the flip side, for people that are buying a site through Quiet Light or through another, you know, company or a private sale or whatever, what is that buyer like? I mean, are they are most of your buyers people that want to keep the site for a long period of time? Yeah, I would say most are. Although you do get the people that are in there for for just that kind of uh, flip and uh, that for that uh, buy, grow, and then flip uh, model. You know the the profile on our uh, buyers varies quite a bit, and some of it, it depends on the price range. So, uh, if you're dealing with a million dollars and above, you're typically uh, looking in low end private equity range, um, or uh, companies that are are building up a small portfolio on their own. But uh, you know, a lot of our buyers are people that come from the tr- uh, traditional business world, and they want to get that leg up. They don't want to do a startup. Uh, maybe they put in 20, 30 years into the traditional business world. Mm-hmm. And now they want something that that runs a little bit more easily. And so they'll dip into maybe their retirement or, or their stock uh, holdings or whatever. And they'll, they'll buy something. And they want that flexibility that you can get with an online business. Um, so that, that's a very large po- uh, portion of our buyer base. But really, as far as the buyers, it, it, it does vary quite a bit. You get a lot of... Uh, a lot of companies that do this professionally, uh, I can think of some buyers that own a dozen, uh, even two dozen websites, and they're constantly looking to add to that portfolio, especially in areas where they might have uh, might have some commonalities. A classic example, and, and this is such a narrow example, but a classic example is uh, a company that might have a warehouse and have uh, staff to fulfill inventory on an e-commerce website. Uh-huh. Uh, it makes sense for them to pick up other e-commerce websites because maybe they have the space and they already have the people fulfilling the orders. So it's not hard for them to add extra e-commerce businesses. Um, or maybe you have somebody who they're just really, really good at content marketing. So they look for sites that, that uh, fit a certain criteria and then they, they want to add another site that doesn't have that content marketing piece 
and they can start really developing out the content and grow it that way. And so that, that tends to be a lot of that, that uh, mid-range, I'd say mid-six-figure, low-seven-figure type of buyer tends to have that really strategic outlook. Uh, I know what I'm looking for. I know what I can grow. I'm going to grow this. I'm going to, uh, a lot of them make just an absolute killing doing that. Yeah. I, the idea of passive income through websites is so fascinating to me and something that I eventually want to get into. Um, but when it comes to deciding whether or not you want to buy a website or proving a website's worth when you're selling it, how what factors go into building the ad or convincing buyers that it's a good deal? Is it ad revenue if it's a content site or you know sales for e-commerce? Yeah, so uh, uh, earnings is the ultimate metric, and I know people get uh, they get tired of this a little bit when they hear uh, one of the first questions. We do free valuations for people, and it's just that they can take a check to see where they are, take a check to see what would prevent them from being able to sell their their, uh, their online business. Um, the, the basic formula, and it sounds really basic, but it does get more refined than this. But the basic formula is your earnings, which is going to be your revenue minus your expenses. Mm-hmm. And, and technically, the number there is actually something we call owner's discretionary earnings. So for the sake of this this uh, uh, podcast, we'll just say earnings, how much money you as the owner get to take. Okay. And then we apply a multiple to it. And that multiple can be as low as two in some case, some cases as high as, say, four or five times uh, th- those earnings. Now, what determines that multiple, though? And there's a lot of things that go into determining that multiple. Uh, some things outside of your control, such as your industry uh, and what other businesses in your niche are doing, and a lot, lot of things within your control. So earnings is the, the basic, most important metric. That's where everything gets driven from. Beyond there, I tell people to focus on four things. Uh, first being risk. So take a look, and it's really hard for uh, business owners to see their own risk because we get we get comfortable with our own risk, right? We deal yeah, with it every day, exactly. and it doesn't seem all that dangerous because maybe we've been running our business with this risk for <laughs> you're five used years. To it. Yeah, exactly. But you know, you're asking a buyer saying, "Hey, pay me the next four years of my my income uh, up front." They're going to see that risk a lot more clearly than you do. So risk uh, is one of the main influencers. If you have lots of risk, it's going to drive that multiple down, down, down really fast. Um, the second uh, uh, pillar or the second thing I tell people to look at is growth prospects. We have to be careful here. I always make this distinction between potential and growth prospects because people will come to us and buyers hate it when you say this, when, when you say, my site has a ton of potential. And then you don't <laughs> explain what that is. They say, um, you know, I dealt with a, a person recently who had a video streaming website um, similar to Netflix. And in my head, and he was telling me like how big this could be, and all I was thinking is, you're competing against Netflix and Amazon for one of the, the hottest yeah. niches on the internet. How are you going to distinguish yourself? That's potential. That's not a real growth prospect without some significant changes to that business model. Growth prospects are things that are really tangible, right? Um, a growth prospect would be, uh, I just got approved for the, uh, with this new vendor to add uh, 500 more SKUs to my site. That's that's a growth prospect right there. Gotcha. Um, uh, or the business has actually been growing 15% year over year for the past three years. That's a growth prospect because there's reason to believe that's going to be there. Or I have an email list of 50,000 people, and I've never really actually tried to sell through that email list. There's a growth prospect. So growth prospects um, uh, are a huge influencer of value. Uh, the other two things would be transferability. Um, are you really crucial to the business? What happens if you leave? Ask yourself the question, kind of morbid question of what happens if you die? What happens to your business? Can it still run? Uh, and how how difficult would it be for for that business to run? And then the last, and I, 
you know, this isn't the sexiest topic in the world, but it's so important. Uh, provability or verifiability. How clean are your records? No one's going to take your word for it that your business makes half a million dollars for, uh, per year. For all they know, you could be terrible at math. Um, <laughs> and, and you'd be amazed how many people tell us their business makes so much that we actually get the financials and run through them and see it makes way less than they think. So you have to be able to verify what you say, everything from financials to uh, customer reports and everything else. So if you focus on those four things, risk, growth, prospects, transferability, and verifiability, you're going to get the top end of that multiple range. That's a long answer to a short question. Sorry. No, it's good. It's it's a lot of things that go into it, which I know we touched on earlier. People think that, or I think I mentioned it, people think that it's so easy to buy a website, but actually a lot go into it. Yeah, absolutely. And from the buying standpoint, you know, I, I recently uh, wrote an article on our own blog about this. I bought uh, a network of sites two years ago, a year and a half ago, mm-hmm. and I swung and missed so bad on these. Oh. <laughs> you know, and, oh, no. and I, I learned a lot of lessons about it. Uh, it. It always looks easy, especially for my desk when I see buyers doing this. Uh, it, it looks easy, but then you you realize buyers who are doing this professionally they have a lot of really good processes in place. Uh, and and there is a certain sophistication to it. There's more than just you know putting your money down, buying a site, and wishing for the best. I talked to a lot of buyers after the sale, and a lot of them say, boy, that first year, that, that was dicey. And then they figured things out. Um, you need to have a good plan. You need to know what you're doing. It, it does take a little bit of, of work and some sophistication to do it well. When it comes to the whole buying process, how does it work when, like, let's say I have, um, okay, let's say I was selling SEJ, and so I work full-time for SEJ. If, you know, Janice and Brent and Lauren wanted to sell SEJ, how do employees fit into that? I mean, is that part of the negotiation process? You know, like, okay, you get this content website, it's going to come with four freelancers who've agreed to stay on through the sale. I mean, is that part of the negotiation process, or... Is it something that's kind of left to the seller to deal with? Uh, Absolutely. So ideally, uh, it is ultimately left to the seller. So sometimes sellers have people that work for them and they want them to work for them in their next venture. Mm -hmm. And so they may say, you're not going to be able to keep my people. (laughs) I I love my people, so I'm going to take them with me. That said, we always encourage sellers to uh, have the staff uh, stay on for a certain amount of time. If there's crucial staff, if there's key staff, you should do whatever you can. If you're selling, you should do whatever you can to incentivize those people to stay on for, say, three months or six months. And then you tell that buyer, um, I'm incentivizing them to stay on for three months or six months. Uh, we've had um, sellers, a very common way to do that is right at that point where you're about to sell, you let the staff know. And then you let them know, um, if you stay on board with this new owner for the next three months or four months, I'm going to give you a bonus of $10,000, something oh, like okay. that. So a really nice big carrot at the end of that period. And the new owner may not want to uh, may not want to keep the staff after three or, or, or six months, but that transition, that those first thirty days, those first sixty days, um, is kind of like taking a sip from a fire hose for that owner. So whatever they can keep the same, especially staff where there's a lot of knowledge built up in that staff, it just it's really really helpful for them. I know. Uh, so I, I said how I got my start by sell, uh, selling site reference before I started Quiet Light Brokerage. I had the opportunity a few years ago, uh, the person that bought it from me wanted to sell it. So I, I 
I broke brokered the site for him, which was kind of fun. Um, brokered it, I sold it, and then the person who bought it realized that he didn't want it, and so he decided to sell it again. And I actually bought it that time around. Oh, well, there was staff that went along with that, and I retained that staff initially. Um, but then after I think it was probably around sixty days, it just it, it was pretty clear that that we just weren't communicating on the same level. So. Mm-hmm. You know, they wanted to get out, and I thought it was best as well. And uh, you know, we we parted amicably after that time. But I couldn't have done it if they had you know picked up and left right away. It just would have been way too much. So as far as staff, ideally we want to keep the staff on uh, for a period of time. And oftentimes, you know, it, it works out, and, and the new owner keeps the staff for for the long term as well. I've seen, like I told you before, um, I think before the podcast started, I've looked on sites like Flippa. I haven't really bought any. But I, in some of those agreements, the owner will say, well, I, as, or the seller will say, as part of the agreement, um, I'll sit, I'll do two one-hour calls with you to transition the site, or I'll give you support 30 days after, whatever. Do a lot of sellers offer support with them to the new uh, owner, or is it mainly just the employees? Yeah, no, it's actually standard. So uh, we we prep all of our sellers, and again, keep in mind we're doing uh, deals between hundred thousand and five million. Uh, our average deal size is seven hundred thousand dollars. So um, it's gets more complex, but uh, standard with every one of our contracts is typically a thirty day transition period. And within that thirty days, people get all worried. They think, well, I don't want to work for this new guy. You know, I I, <laughs> I want to move on. Yeah. So it's usually thirty days and say fifty hours during that that thirty days. So I'll give you up to fifty hours of transition gotcha. uh, over the course of thirty days, or maybe forty five days, and that's a negotiation piece uh, as well. Um, but really, I mean, if, if you're getting seven hundred thousand dollars for a website. 30 days or even 45 days is not that bad uh, of yeah. a transition period. And what I tell people all the time, when I sold site reference, I gave 30 days. And it was a lot of work up front. The first few days, I spent a lot of time with that that uh, buyer, just kind of training him. And then day three wasn't as much. Day four really wasn't that much. By week two, I mean, it was a sporadic call every other uh-huh. day. Uh, so it, it, it goes pretty quick, usually much faster than buyers uh, want. But for them... It's just that really nice kind of security blanket. Hey, I got this guy in for the next 30 days to really help me with the business. Yeah, it kind of gives you confidence that you'll be able to uh, keep the site successful if you have the previous owner's input and guidance. Absolutely. And you know, when, when you're selling something of that size as well, you, you have to think about liability, right? If you sell a site for half a million dollars, and it fails within the first 30 days, you're going to have a really mad buyer, and that's enough money to file a lawsuit, even if you did yeah. nothing wrong. Yeah. And, and this is people always have to keep this in mind. You don't have to do something wrong to get sued. Um, <laughs> th- th- there's all sorts of reasons why someone could file a lawsuit just to get you to rescind the deal. So as a seller, you know, you, you want to have a vested interest in that buyer's success and also just being a good human being, <laughs> right? Yeah. You, you want yeah. that person not to lose money. So offering 30 days transition and really just doing your best to help them out, it's just it's the right thing to do. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Well, that kind of feeds into our last question, which I know uh, was probably the most difficult uh, one on the list that I sent you. But I asked, I wanted to talk about what are some warning signs that you shouldn't go through with a sale, whether you're a buyer or a seller? Um, Yeah. So uh, as a seller, I would say um, a lot of the warning signs need to be taken care of up front. Uh, know what you want. One of the things people do wrong all the time uh, from the sell side, uh, from the sell side is they don't know what they want as far as price. 
they have this really kind of nebulous idea of I want as much as I can get. Uh-huh. Well, you don't know what that is until people stop offering you money. <laughs> and so uh, one of my brokers advises people just to actually write down their takeaway price. This is my minimum price that I can accept. He says, write it down, stick it in an envelope, put it at the back of your desk drawer, and then put the business up for sale. And while you're going through the negotiations, when you get into the fog of the negotiations and the sale, pull that out once in a while and take a look and see, you know, am I still uh, meeting my goals? Um, but from uh, other standpoints, let's say that you're in the negotiation as a seller, uh, be, be mindful of deadlines. If you have a buyer who's just constantly moving the goalposts, that could be a warning sign. If they want you to, to have an overly complex deal, uh, that can be a, a warning sign um, that they're just trying to, to uh, uh, you know, take you for a ride. If they're doing something like, like not telling you what their offer is and just keep pushing that off, um, that could also be a warning sign. Huh. From from the buy side, you know we have a, a policy at Quiet Light, and that is if, if somebody uh, is acting like a jerk, <laughs> we just don't deal with them. If somebody lies, they're they're out the door. Uh, the easiest way to not get uh, to not get scammed is don't deal with dishonest people. And yeah. so um, you always have to check yourself. People make mistakes, and so not everybody who uh, makes a mistake is lying. But if you do catch somebody in a lie, then walk out the door. And the last thing I'd, I'd tell buyers is trust your gut. Um, there are some times where we've just had a bad feeling about a deal, but we couldn't really put our finger on why it was wrong. Mm. And so we went through with it anyway. And the next thing you know, we find out that our, our instincts were right. Um, trust your instincts uh, when you're doing a deal. Um, on the buy side, it's so easy to lose money doing this. It's easy, You can make a lot of money, but the risk is there. And it's just not worth uh, losing a ton of money um, over over a deal because there will be a better deal that comes along. Yeah, that's really good advice, especially since um, if you're dealing with you know uh, six figures or you know million dollar websites for sure. Trusting your gut, it's just really can't be beat. I'd say. Yeah, absolutely, and yeah, you have to figure out what's what's cold feet and what's your gut um, because you're going to get cold feet at some point uh, when you're when you're writing a check for that much money. You're going to get cold feet, but. Uh, when you do it enough, you learn the difference. And, and so, yeah, trust, trust your gut. Good parting advice, I'd say. <laughs> well, Mark, thanks so much for joining me. I think this was you know, really interesting, and I know we could delve into different aspects even more, but I really appreciate you joining us for Marketing Nerds. Uh, absolutely. Thanks for having me, and hopefully people enjoy some of the stuff I'm writing for SEJ. I'm, I'm really looking forward to continuing to contribute for the next few years. Good. Awesome. Again, this is Mark Doust, owner of Quiet Light Brokerage, and Kelsey Jones, executive editor for Search Engine Journal. This Marketing Nerds podcast has been brought to you by Search Engine Journal. For more news, interviews, and how-to guides from marketing experts from around the world, visit us at searchenginejournal.com.